0: hi this is johnny lu from first hundred k and today i want to introduce you to a friend of mine as well as an advisor uh, randy wirefsky uh, randy has a amazing background in finance and was in banking he's been uh, he's a cpa and he was also responsible for rolling up a whole series of pharmacies into what is known as rite aid today and throughout the course of the next hopefully next year or so randy's going to be sharing with us a lot of the techniques and tools that he's learned throughout his career on how to manage finances, from how to manage your personal finances, uh, all the way to if you're an entrepreneur and you're starting out, how do you structure deals from a financial perspective. So, Randy, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, Randy, walk me through your background you just have such an amazing story. So I graduated
1: from Penn State University back a long, long time ago, back in 1979. And I've always wanted to be an accountant, so once graduating from college, I took a position with the predecessor of Deloitte Touche, which was Touche-Ross at the time. I spent eight years there, predominantly in the small business group. I left after eight years and went to a smaller firm, which was just starting a New Jersey office, and the name of the company was M.R. Wiser. And Wiser had just opened an office in New Jersey, and I was charged with helping them develop their, their audit programs and work with a lot of their smaller customers, their smaller clients. So that was really very challenging, and it was really enjoyable. And at one point, during my tenure there, um, we pitched an account in Springfield, Massachusetts, this fledgling drugstore chain called Maxi Drug, and at the... The uh, company was at the time two stores, and they were looking to grow uh, their presence in the United States. The company is a subsidiary of the Jean Coutu Group, which is uh, domiciled in Montreal, Canada. They have about 330 franchise locations in Canada. And so the idea initially was, I was their auditor until they made an acquisition, and the acquisition was of uh, the Douglas Drug chain in Rhode Island. At which point, then I took the position as chief financial officer, moved my family up here and uh, to Rhode Island, which is a wonderful state, and um, took the position as CFO. So we tried to grow the stores, um, the, the chain store by store it was not profitable. We determined that the best way to grow the chain would be through acquisitions. So, um, so we were six stores when we acquired the sixteen store Douglas Drug chain, and then the first real significant transaction, which caused you know us to have enough scale, was. In 1994, when uh, the Brooks Pharmacy New England chain became available, it was roughly 220 stores. So 16 stores, 22 stores, wound up buying 220 stores, and we wound up with some pretty good scale. The idea behind the Brooks Pharmacy acquisition was that, uh, although performing fairly well, it was not performing optimally, and we believed that from the diligence that we had done, that there could be significant upside, especially in the pharmacy, which was less of an emphasis for Brooks at the time. So, in taking it over, the first thing we had to do, of course, was all the system transitions and people transitions. And, you know, merging cultures is always a, a kind of a challenging thing to do. And so, um, you know, a lot of care was given to that, aligning all the systems, making sure everybody was aligned with the corporate vision. And we were profitable basically immediately, which was, which was really nice. So, then we went through another series of acquisitions, independent pharmacies. Uh, We would take pieces of property that we thought were A properties, and we would amass them and move um, independent pharmacies into those locations, in addition to buying small chains such as City Drug, which had roughly 12 stores in Vermont. Um, In 2001, we purchased 80 Osco drugstores, and then by the time we hit 2003, 2004, we were feeling pretty good about ourselves. So we actually um, bit the big bullet and um, started negotiations with CVS, uh, with J.C. Penney, which owned the Eckerd Drug Stores, and um, roughly 2,700 stores, and we basically split the chain uh, with CVS. And we took 1,500 stores, everything basically um, north of Florida, we took those stores. And The integration was, as you can imagine, quite challenging, but it was a really good learning experience. The, the whole process of raising capital, um, you know, structuring the debt to acquire that asset was a, a, a quite an experience and so you learn a lot of different things about how the markets work and what works and what doesn't work and what to do again and what not to do again. Um, so we were going through the integration and just around the time where we hit around 2006, Um, There was some concern about the way that the economy was overheated, and so um, the decision was made that it was probably a good idea to try to sell the chain, which we did. We sold the entire USA operations to Rite Aid. The deal closed in 2007, immediately before the crash, so the timing really could not have been better uh, for the sale of the the stores to Rite Aid. We sold Mm -hmm. basically at top dollars. And I just saw in the Wall Street Journal today that you know Walgreens was in in, uh, in talks to buy the entire Rite Aid chain. This has been going on for over a year, and now they've scaled back. They're just going to buy some stores uh, rather than the entire chain. I think there were some antitrust concerns uh, about consolidation in the in the pharmacy market. So one of the things that we wanted to do afterwards, uh, we had a real uh, focus on real estate. The CEO and I. And we formed a venture capital group for the purposes. Initially, we were thinking we would buy the real estate from the Rite Aid stores as part of the transaction, but the multiples that we got in the sale to Rite Aid were such that we couldn't take that, it didn't make sense economically mm-hmm. to take that real estate. So we watched, we were, we, had a firm, we were together for about three years and just watched the economy do a free fall during that period from like 2008 until 2010 when I guess we, we hit the bottom of the recession. And so we, you know, we had a lot of fun looking at different transactions, but never actually did a deal, which is very interesting. So then another colleague of mine and I formed a company called Main Street Monitoring Devices. This is GPS tracking, and it, it was at its infancy in, in 2009, 2010, and 2011, and um, you know, the offshoot of this is to help me, I fall and I can't get up, that, you know, that type of technology. And the talk about being ahead of your time, it was, it was a great idea. And the technology was really designed for people with either Alzheimer's or, or, um, or kids with autism because, you know, they have a tendency to wander around. So, you know, this GPS tracking device was supposed to at least be able to monitor them. Problem is the geofences, which is what they call like the little guardrails to uh, prevent people from, uh, from, you know, breaching that and putting themselves in danger. There was too much um, maneuverability, and, and it wasn't precise enough, and so that, that you didn't, didn't
0: shot the kids, right? It. <laughs> it was
1: just like you'd be looking at it; it's like, oh, they're here, but when you know you look at the GPS, they're actually in the middle of the road. Not necessarily a particularly good thing. So, and then the big players started getting in, so we kind of got away from that. And right around that time. Uh, part of my experience was with with um, I was a director for domestic bank at the time when they were going through some of their their transition activities. So I went, I delved into banking and uh, as a board member and I was the, the uh, audit committee chair. Uh, once that was sold, shortly thereafter I was um, I was I was asked to be the CFO of um, home loan investment bank and I spent five years there. At the time, this was in 2012. The bank was um, hemorrhaging. I mean, it was it was not profitable, and we were under consent order. Uh, consent order is the regulators basically saying, we've identified trouble conditions in the bank, and you need to take these corrective actions in order for you for us to allow you to then grow and do the different types of things that bankers do. So, during the course of the five years that I was there, uh, we were able to turn profitable. Which was uh, that was a nice feeling, and also um, satisfy the uh, the Office of the Controller of Currency, the OCC, which and the FDIC, were the, which were the regulators of the bank, mm-hmm. that we were safe and sound enough to rel- to eliminate the, um, the consent order. So um, so I stayed there until the beginning of January of 2017, and um, now I'm just kind of looking at other opportunities for things to do. In addition, currently, I, I am on the board of directors of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rhode Island, and I actually chair the board at this at this time, and I'm an adjunct at the University of Rhode Island. I've been an adjunct since uh, 2008, and I teach uh, financial accounting, financial management at both the undergraduate as well as the graduate level. And so here we are. <laughs>
0: you know, Whenever whatever we talk about helping students Get on track with their finances. You have just this vibrant energy. How did you get into it, and and, and what do you really enjoy about um, you know teaching students these lessons?
1: Well, the interesting thing is, you know, you see you see people who are entering college, and um, yes. Yeah, so, what do you want to do with yourself? And many of them say, well, I don't really know. You know, I'm just, just trying to. I, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in that. But there's no real passion and direction because. And we, we asked kids. I mean, I'll call them kids, but. We ask young people to kind of make decisions that are going to affect them for the rest of their lives. For me, it was very interesting because, and, and I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but when I was in eighth grade, I wanted to be an accountant. Now I'll give you a little bit of history behind that because my mother was a real maverick. So my mother, if you, if you look at where my energy comes from, the, the Wairowski is the Czechoslovakian side, that's my father's side. My mother is a, was a Sicilian. Got so it. when you look at a lot of the characteristics you say yeah that seems." you're not italian be- <laughs> you're sicilian <laughs> i'm sicilian yeah and, and, the, and the sicilians like to be sicilians and the italians like the sicilians to be this <laughs> <laughs> is a little bit of a, a thing there so my mother wanted to be an accountant and you know at her time um to be to go to college was something that was really unheard of so she graduated from pace university uh, wanted to have a career in accounting but wound up having a family instead. And of course, at the time that she had to kind of devote her time to that. So, my, neither of my siblings wanted to be an accountant, but I always wanted to be an accountant. So, I remember the proudest day in my mother's life was when I came, I called her and I said, I passed the CPA exams. She was just so, so excited. So, a, th- a couple of things that I like about accounting and finance in particular is. Um, there's applicability for accounting and finance in both your personal life as well as your professional life. So uh, a lot of the, the, the things that I teach in my financial accounting class can be applied to your personal life as well as your, your professional life in terms of if you want a, a career in accounting, you can utilize those techniques in order to you know, work as an accountant in a business, but you could also use the same techniques for your own personal finances. And it's the same thing with financial management. Uh, One of the more important things that I think uh, is is, in accounting is just understanding how money is spent. Mm -hmm. Really, expenditures. How, where is the money going? And are there opportunities in the event that you need to cut back on your expenditures? Is there some discretionary expenditures that you make that you could cut back in in the event that you need to? And that's where, I mean, I almost look at the revenue and the expenditure side almost separately. So, you know, how you earn your first $100,000, of course, is an important component, the revenue component. Mm -hmm. But how are you spending your money? What are your goals? What are your objectives? What are you trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. Um, Are you trying to amass a certain amount of wealth in order to, you know, make investments? Are you trying to um, earn enough to be able to pay off school loans or, or whatever types of debt indebtedness that you might incur what are those types of things you really have to have an, a, a real strong understanding of how you you expend money a lot of people don't like to do it and in most cases the reason why is they don't like the answer so most people when you ask them how much they make they will cite their gross salary well that's nice that you're not taking home that amount of money and if you get into that mindset where you're taking home that amount of money right away you're gonna be in trouble and the other thing is with expenditures if you ask people how much they spend they have a tendency to really um, come up really short with how much they actually spend so going through the discipline of, of just tracking expenditures how much am I spending what am I spending things on
0: that's really important because nowadays you know credit card companies are throwing money at students because they've got all this debt they are gonna rack up more debt and they're paying such a high percentage on it so that they don't sort of stay stuck forever so that's actually really good so these are the topics that we're going to be talking about um, or actually randy's going to be talking to you about in the coming weeks so please subscribe to our channel and that way you'll keep on getting updates and that way you get some of this financial energy from a cpa that actually keeps you awake alive and, and keeps you going
1: the first topic we're going to be discussing today is in the realm of how to build credit so you get out of college you may have some school debt and you, you're just trying to navigate your way through uh, the financial world. And credit is a really important component of, of this financial world that we're in. Uh, credit is available to people in various forms. And there's different ways to go about doing it. You would have gotten, you already have some history if you wind up with some school loans because part of what you need, obviously, and that will affect your credit, is your ability to be able to pay those school loans on a timely basis. And that's a separate discussion for another uh, another topic. But specifically today, I'd like to just uh, speak about uh, you get out of school one of, What is one of the first things that you should be looking at is to try to build additional credit and part of the building of credit and what gets your credit score to uh, uh, to more um, positive levels to higher levels is um, how you manage your, the, your your credit, especially a revolving credit line and The best example of a revolving credit line would be a credit card. So, one of the things that um, I encourage people to do is get a credit card basically um, as soon as you possibly can. Different than when I was growing up, when you, in order for me to get a credit card back in 1979 when I graduated college, I had to have my parents co sign for the credit card. But the, now the offers uh, are, are much more uh, significant. I mean, you can get, you probably get credit card offers in the mail. Uh, all the time and and people that are uh, the millennials are targets for credit card companies because these are the people that um, that will be having credit over a longer period of time and these are the the types of people that the credit card companies are looking for so i recommend just getting the best credit card just do some research get the best credit card that with that gives you the kinds of rewards that uh, that you would need so if you look at the way credit cards work uh, credit cards, the merchant, anytime you use a credit card, the merchant is charged a fee. And the fee is dependent on the relationship, the contractual relationship that the merchant has with the actual um, vendor that carries the credit card. And from the merchant's perspective, even though they're paying a fee, they get their, their guarantee of cash, assuming that they do all the things that they need to do. They get, they, they get, they're guaranteed to get their cash uh, from the um, from the actual A credit card company so if the beauty of this is that if you pay off your credit card on a monthly basis there's no cost to you as the user of the credit card Uh, so that's a real advantage if you could manage your credit cards appropriately you can if you think of it you get billed once a month so you have the use of the cash uh, your own cash flow during the time that you're actually running up credit card charges during the particular month. And then you get to pay that balance off at the end of the month. It doesn't cost you anything. And because comp- uh, credit card companies are competing so much, they, the amount of rewards that you can get can be c- quite substantial. So do your homework. I happen to be an electronics uh, person, a gadget person. So I have a Best Buy credit card. And on average, with the use of my credit card, for example, I'm running a balance up of some, somewhere between you know one and $2,000 a month, I pay that off every month, and I wind up with 25 to $30 worth of gift certificates each month from Best Buy for the use of that card. So the good news about credit cards is that if you think about it for the user, it's a perfect opportunity to manage your cash flow. The downside is if you don't manage it correctly and you just assume that cash just showed up out of nowhere, and what's this bill at the end of the month, that's where things start to go wrong. And I'll give you a funny story because uh, when my daughter was in college, she went to Georgetown, and first thing, like I'm saying here now, first thing I did was I got her a a credit card. It had to be my credit card, but I had her name on it. And the intention was I was going to use the credit card, let her use the credit card, and um, make sure that she paid off the balances each month and so on and so forth. Uh, well, uh, instead of, of going with the idea of this is just, <laughs> just replaces cash and not is supplemental for cash, uh, to cash, um, she wound up running up a pretty significant bill, such that at one point in time, I made a special trip down to Georgetown, and I held my hand out, and I said, I need the card. She said, what do you mean? I said, I need the card. This is out of control. <laughs> I said, Dad, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. Yeah, okay, I'm still waiting, and um, good thing I'm not charging interest on that. But, so that's an example of how not to manage your credit card. So what I'd recommend to do initially is get the credit card that you feel would be the most optimal for your particular situation with understanding rewards put nominal charges up initially so you may be twenty dollars thirty dollars fifty dollars whatever the number is that you're sure that you can pay as soon as you get the bill within the time period that's provided by the credit card uh, from the credit card statement so if you do that over a period of time you're going to be building credit you, you demonstrate that you have the ability to utilize credit and then pay it responsibly there's a number of factors that go into a credit score we won't cover this right now but there's a number of factors that go into your credit score and one is you know, your ability to be able to manage debt. If you have school loans, it's critical that you pay those school loans on time. That also helps you build credit, is that you're demonstrating that you have the fiscal responsibility, the financial responsibility, to actually pay your debts when they're due. So that's one of the most critical components to this. There are credit card uh, services, uh, credit, uh, credit services that um, are pretty significant, and um, and the one that uh, if you look at creditkarma.com, for example, it's a free service. There's two of the three um, um, cre- the rating companies that post on this. You can go and get your credit score for free. I recommend you go to one of these sites. I happen to like Credit Karma and they actually have some offers for different credit cards that they believe would be most suiting your needs based on your credit profile. So pay attention to your credit score and the factors that go in. It's it's pretty good. It'll tell you what goes into your credit score. What are the factors that go in? Why is your credit score where it is? Understanding that credit score and understanding how it moves is an, an important component. And in some cases, the movements in the credit score are not necessarily things that you do badly, but things that just happen with your credit as a result of you just living your life. So I'll give you an example. Um, The way I finance, I, I like rental property, and so the way I finance it is through a credit line that I have on my house. Anytime I draw down on that credit line, um, regardless of what it is, it shows in, 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 in um, additional indebtedness and it impacts my credit score up to like 30 to 40 points. But as I pay it back down, my credit score then goes back to where it's, its normal levels are. So I have a very, very high credit score, as you can imagine. And what having a good credit score enables you to do is be able to, in the future, as you move along, and you start to finance things like a house purchase, so a mortgage, or a car payment, your credit score absolutely affects the rate of re- the, the rate that you will be paying. The higher your credit score, the lower the amount of credits, uh, the interest rate that you will be paying. So managing your credit is a really important thing. So that's it on this topic. And I look forward to, to meeting with you in the future on future topics. You want, you want me to? <laughs> no, tell the story. Let's tell the story. So, so, so yeah, so now I'm looking at you because it's better this way. So the um, so, so, again, uh, I generally teach at night, and I'm a morning person, so I usually struggle to be able to stay awake. So, I don't drink coffee as, as a general rule, not that I have anything against coffee, it's just I don't need it. I'm energetic enough, and coffee kind of puts me over the edge, and people like, people like backing up saying, uh, too much, too much, calm it down. So, you know, I wanted to have a cup of coffee one night when I was teaching class, and I didn't have any coffee left, and I was like, what, what am I going to do? So... Uh, and times when I haven't had coffee, I kind of, you know, I run out of steam. So I was like, I got to do something, caffeine. So my daughter had, for her wedding, we had Red Bull. And so um, I had some leftover Red Bulls. And I said, Yeah, I've never tried a Red Bull before in my life, never tried it before. And so on the way to the class from driving from Coventry, I'm drinking this Red Bull and I'm just seeing my body just start to go into this like, oh my God, oh my God, gives you weight. I'm teaching and it's like, it's like an out of body experience because I'm just like, (laughs) and then I'm like thinking about what I'm saying. It's like, where is this coming from? And I'm looking at the students and the students are like, they're giving me this look like, oh my God, what is wrong with them? <laughs> so in the middle of the class, I said, okay, this may seem strange. I had a Red Bull, and they're like, oh, that explains. explains? <laughs> he had a Red Bull. So needless to say, I wound up going to the end of the class, which you nobody's know, students, the Students always like to be let out early, right? And they always look for that. But I went to the end of the class, and then I was like. And um, well let's see. It was four o'clock in the morning and I still couldn't sleep. <laughs> so I didn't sleep the whole night. <laughs> anyway, no more no red bulls for Randy. <laughs> in our
0: next segment we'll have him hold a Red Bull.
1: <laughs> I think we might have Talk about we're talking about wings, man.